Hello and welcome to the Birth Spot Scottish Football Podcast, episode 234. I'm your host, Tom McKinnon, and today I'm joined by Johnny Clark. Yep, thanks, Tom. Good to be here. And Lewis Burrell. Cheers, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here after a good footballing weekend. It has been indeed, hasn't it? Instant oh, it packed. Oh, it's been some scintillating stuff across the league and the cup. There's been a lot of good stuff on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Euros draw as well. We'll get onto that at some point. But uh, we'll start with the first silverware of the season. Um, Celtic won Aberdeen nil. I think before we get into the game, we'll just um, send our best wishes to uh, Mackay Stephen. Um, McKenna said he was up sitting up in hospital, so hopefully it's not too serious because I think everyone um, feared the worst when it happened. Yeah, um, I think that's definite. I definitely got mm-hmm. to send you best wishes. It looked like a nasty. Uh, collision mm-hmm. when you saw the his teammate, I can't remember who it was, I turned him over as well and he saw yeah, the way his head his head went. It was uh I didn't look good at all, so that's uh, that's good to hear that he's alright. Mm-hmm. Um so uh Lewis, I'll I'll start with you for the game. Um talk describe the game to me, if you will, as if you're describing it to someone who was watching the Arsenal game for the first half and fell well, asleep in the well, second half. It was a game well, I don't know how you fell asleep because I thought it was I really no, don't semi final. It, it was nothing to do with the, the game, final, it was sorry. more the fact that I was up till four o'clock watching the box or five o'clock watching the box in the game. Ah, right. Uh, well it was one of those uh, it was one of those games that I thought Aberdeen actually could feel quite hard done by in the game, to be honest. They they played really well. I think Derek McInnes can look back and say that he definitely got his tactics right, he got his team selection right. Aberdeen, they looked apart, they sat in, they frustrated Celtic, they defended really deep. But crucially, as what often happens with teams when they play Celtic in these finals, they didn't get penned in, they didn't look lifeless. They were getting up the part, they were frustrating Celtic mm-hmm. quite a lot actually, they had a fair share of chances. They didn't have that cutting edge, that sort of talismanic striker who was going to put the ball in the net, but that's been their struggle all season, hasn't it? They've, all, they've struggled for goals all season really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Celtic's, Celtic maybe a wee bit lucky at times, quality did shine through a wee bit, but no, I, I think Aberdeen can definitely hold their heads high. Mm-hmm. Um. Johnny, obviously you don't want to um, trivialise, I suppose, um, Mackay Steen's injury, but there is there was a decision to be made, and maybe the severity of the injury maybe sort of gave the referee a way out, but could it have been a penalty for the foul on, or a potential foul on Mackay Steen? Mm, I think when I, when, I first, uh, when I first saw it, I thought <clears throat> there could have been a shout there, but when I watched it again, it was kind of... I wasn't even really focusing on the fact that it could have been a penalty, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think... Mackay Stephen probably does just get there first and then Boyata comes in and I think it's a, a clash of heads. Um, well, it's definitely a clash of heads, but I think mm-hmm. that's just kind of all it is rather than... I don't think there's any intent there from Boyata. Mm-hmm. But um, as you say, he's probably is just split second late with the, uh, the attempt to head the ball. So uh, probably a bit harsh and as you say, it's probably... It's not really what you're looking at. There's there's no intent there, and and the thoughts obviously go to Mackay Stephen initially. Um, it's probably one of the nastiest collisions I've seen on that on a pitch in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we've sort of seen it in the past. The one the one example that springs to mind is Eduardo. Funnily enough, for Arsenal, he broke his leg, and it really affected not just that game for the team, but a season. Do you think it maybe had a similar effect on Aberdeen seeing? Uh, Mackay Stephen down like that no. well Mackay Stephen he started really really well he was looking lively down the left hand flank he was actually, he was giving Celtic problems I suppose up against his former club on a big occasion like that he'll have a, he'll have a point to prove you know and uh, obviously if his family were all there as well which we've all 
heard in the aftermath of the injury. Uh, I wouldn't go to say that Gary McKay Stephen getting injured was what lost the game for mm-hmm. for Aberdeen. I don't think Whiteley was influential, he was playing very well. I wouldn't go as far to say that have he had he been on the park, Aberdeen would have lifted the trophy. But mm-hmm. I do think maybe all the sort of commotion round about it, all the I mean there was seven or eight minutes of just dead time really, where there was no mm-hmm. a ball wasn't being kicked, you know. And the Aberdeen players weren't they weren't really kicking the ball about and things, they were standing about quite concerned about their teammate because obviously it was a nasty mm-hmm. injury. So I think maybe all that, yeah, you could argue that the the whole sort of disruption maybe unsettled them a wee bit on the big occasion, and that's what maybe allowed a wee bit of slackness to let Celtic score. But I don't think mm-hmm. you could say that the guy Stephen stayed on the part that would have definitely won the game. It's n- it wasn't that crucial. Mm-hmm. Because John, it's not quite like a he's pulled his hamstring and had to go off. It does maybe put playing football into perspective a wee bit. Do you think? Um. I get where you're coming from, but I think with the initial with the initial question, I think there's more like reasons as to why Aberdeen didn't win that game than the injury. I think Aberdeen, as Lewis said earlier on, I thought Aberdeen matched Celtic for pretty much the entirety of the game, um, and I actually don't think they looked any any worse. I thought McLennan came on and played very well for Aberdeen, nineteen uh, year old. Um, and I thought they were just as good in the, in the second half, Aberdeen. Um, maybe slightly worse second half, but um, I think for me the main reason for the defeat is, and I feel quite, it's maybe a bit harsh to signal a single one player out, but I think the decision to play Cosgrove up front is, is baffling mm-hmm. to me. And it's one that obviously we know McKinnon... Um, McInnes, sorry, um, doesn't really favour playing a traditional number nine up front, but for me, Bruce Anderson's already a better player than Cosgrove, and he's obviously he's an Aberdeen born and bred player. He's a youngster. He's been scoring goals. He's confident. You can you can see him when he came on. He looked like he was full of beans, and he looked like he was gonna really cause some problems. And I just don't think the way Aberdeen played today in that cup final suited cause suited Cosgrove at all. Um, if you're gonna pump long balls up the park, fair enough. You get a big striker on to hold the ball in. But the amount of times that I seen Aberdeen play through Cosgrove, and all he did was slow the play down, take the momentum out of Aberdeen's attacks. Just, mm-hmm. I I just I don't think the game suited him at all. Um, and Aberdeen have been struggling for goals, and and watching that, it's it's clear to see why. Because they're playing, they're playing fine, they're playing some good stuff. Um, but that reluctance to, I mean, there's there's a reason Adam Rooney left the club in the summer as well. You won't mm-hmm. get a more natural number nine and a more natural finisher. Um, and obviously McInnes, that's just not, which is fair enough. It's just not the way favors favors playing. But I think that's cost them today. I thought McLennan when he comes on was, was actually, as much as Gary McKay Stephen was a bit of a loss, I thought McLennan was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You could tell it was just a boy that thought this is more opportunity here on a big stage. Nineteen years old, as you say. He didn't have any sort of fear factor. I mean the things he was trying down that side, he was absolutely fearless the way he was taking folk on, trying wee tricks and in the second half especially when Aberdeen when Aberdeen were pushing to get that equaliser and it was looking quite likely at times. I thought uh, yeah. yeah, he yeah, he really shone. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe James Wilson could have done a better job, Johnny? But when there's time on the park, you mean? 
Well, as a starter in place of Cosgrove. Oh, right, sorry, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, for me, I would have started Bruce Anderson, I say there. Mm. I, Wilson, so-so since he's been at Aberdeen, and there's games where he just looks like he cannot be arsed at all, and I'm sure Lewis will back that up if he was... You were at Motherwell at Aberdeen last week, Lewis, weren't you? Yeah, and you'd have probably seen that firsthand. But there's been mm-hmm. games where I've looked at Wilson and thought, yep, he's a proper good quality number nine. Um, but he's, as he's, he's been so hit and miss. And I just think Anderson, and I understand that he's just a young boy. Um, but look through that Aberdeen team. I mean, you've got Ferguson there who's, what, ages with Anderson and he's been absolutely on fire. For me, it's... I don't know if there's a lack of trust or he just doesn't think he's he's quite ready to start these big games. But, I mean, look at what he's done. He's come on at Kelly, scored, come on against Rangers. First game of the season, scored a massive goal in the last minute. And he just looks like a striker that's actually going to go out, cause problems, score goals for me. And, yeah, I just think he deserves the the vote of confidence in a, in a big game uh, sooner rather than later from, from McInnes. I suppose if... Aberdeen's midfielders were scoring goal, more goals that would maybe take the pressure off and that's exactly what the Celtic midfielder doing and namely Ryan Christie um, how good was his goal Lewis? Yeah it was one of those ones it was it was typical that he was going to score I mean you were sitting before the game and you actually did think to yourself that there's a good chance Ryan Christie was was going to get one today he uh, was very very complimentary about Celtic in his post-match interview in the pitch so sorry about Aberdeen mm. in his post-match interview which was which was nice to see because Ultimately, if Aberdeen hadn't taken him out for two years, he would never have been the player he is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in a way, in a way, what's happened with Ryan Christie, it must be a wee bit, almost. I, I don't have the right word for it. It must be a wee bit demoralising to the likes of Gary McKay Stephen because you do get the impression it's that he's been in the right place at the right time. Because mm-hmm. his career looked to be going absolutely nowhere. There, there was a wee injury crisis. He got in. He played very well, so he stayed in. He do help, but you can't help but feel, you know that could quite easily have happened to like, a Mackay Stephen or someone like that mm-hmm. if they had still been about at the club at this time so uh, yeah I think he's he's been quite he's been quite fortunate that he's got his chance but he's played really really well and as you say yeah uh, goal scoring midfielders midfielders really takes mm-hmm. the takes the burden off the strikers a wee bit and Celtic obviously in the moment they're a wee bit unsure as to who their number one is and they're kind of shortening and changing and all the rest of it so yeah but he can get goals from midfield it's uh, such an asset to a team and he likes he obviously likes a goal on the Betfred Cup as well it's mm-hmm. asked him he scored in the semi and the final uh, so yeah he's a good player mm-hmm. um, Johnny uh, obviously as Lewis mentioned Christy was at Aberdeen not permanently obviously but maybe and I'm aware it was a cup final but would you have liked to see him not celebrate? Oh, I don't know I'd... nah <laughs> Nah, I don't. I don't think it wouldn't even really cross my mind to be honest. You've scored in a cup final. Um, it's maybe a bit different if he'd gone up to the Aberdeen fans and, and celebrated in front of them deliberately or something. But you scored in the cup final for for Celtic. You know, of course he's gonna gonna celebrate. There's nothing. Nah, there's nothing in that. Nothing malicious in that for me at all. But I think just to pick up on the point that Lewis was saying there, I think it's just a testament to that midfield and. This is maybe a point on McGregor more so, who's been, by the way, a, a incredible as well. Not just the pair of them have been brilliant for Celtic, but for Scotland too. Um, mm-hmm. In those two crucial matches, they were both outstanding um, against Albania and Israel. So I think it's a testament to them that, that, that Scott Brown sat on the bench today in a, in a cup final. And I know Scott Brown's just kind of come back from injury. 
but the, you can't be telling me that if Scott Brown was needed today, he wouldn't have started. I mean, he would have. He came on. He, he's fine. But it's a testament to how how good McGregor has been, and, and the fact how good Celtic were in Rosenborg and in midweek as well that they kept that full out outfield. Um, and there's a there's a good base there defensively as well for them. Um, they know that they only maybe need to score that that one goal, just like obviously against Nor in uh, Norway on Thursday as well. So no, I just think it's a, a testament to McGregor keeping keeping Brown out of the team uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis, we've heard I think we've heard it a few times in the not too distant past, but do you think it maybe could be the beginning again, beginning of the end for Scott Brown? Uh, well, yeah, he is getting on a bit, but. I, th- I don't think it'll be long before we see Scott Brown back in the Celtic team, to be honest. I mean, you're forgetting. This is a guy who, last, whether you like him or you loathe him, last season he was untouchable. You know, I think he, he won the play of the year last year, didn't he? So, mm-hmm. I think to write him off at this stage... He, he's been written off before, remember, in Ronnie Dyler's last year. Everybody was saying he was finished, he was gone, he would go here, he would go there at the end of the season. And I thought it as well, we all did, because he looked finished, he looked like he was, he was run out. But he got revitalised and he's been a key, key part of the team ever since. So I think, to be honest, just after an injury, I think it would be dangerous to write him off again. But, you know, he came on today and I didn't, I didn't think there was anything lacking from him. He looked like the Scott Brown of old. He obviously had a slightly different role because he wasn't leading the team from the start as he usually does. He was coming on and being told to sort of shore it up and see it out. But I thought he, he was doing what he does best. He was going hard, he was riling folk up, he was breaking up play. And he did that really, really well, really intensely over a sort of twenty minute, half an hour period. So, no, I think that when I, when more injuries or suspensions have ever hit, I think Scott Brown will be back in that Celtic side on a regular basis, uh, and I think that will happen sooner than later. And I think that with him, he'll be back in in his usual role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll ask you both this question, but I'll let you go first, Johnny. Um, will Celtic do the treble, treble? Um. Yes, I think they will. Sure. Uh, I'm going to say no. I think that yeah, I might be shot down for it, but I think that Rangers might win the league. Oh, Jesus! That is an that absolutely is... brilliant link into our next one. So we oh just, first question God. is explain. Explain why I think Rangers win the league. Yeah. Uh, I don't really, I don't really have an explanation to be honest. I just, I've got, I've got no, I've got no logic or reason to build it off. I just. I just think they might. I think mm-hmm. uh, the Celtic, not to blow us motherwell up in any way, because we are we are rotten at the moment. But I think the Rangers sitting a point clear at the top, and Celtic having to come to us during the week. And if they drop points, Rangers will probably Rangers might ex- can extend the lead up there. I think it doesn't look great because Fir Park is a place where Celtic don't really enjoy coming, and they quite often do just get a draw or sometimes even get beat. But we won't, motherwell won't beat them on Wednesday, but. It might be a place where they might come and draw. So I think if if, he, if Rangers can get to Christmas New Year and be in top by a point or two, then I think that's the time where you've got to say, well, there is a title race here. And then the fun games become massive. Yeah, Celtic have a great record in them. But the next one, crucially, is at Ibrooks. And the last time at Ibrooks, Celtic did get quite... Not lucky, because they did deserve it, but it was a tight, tight game and there was not much between the teams at all. And Rangers are better than they better now than they were then. So I don't see any reason why they couldn't win the next Old Firm game at Ibrooks, to be honest. And if they win that, they're on. Because after New Year, you've only got four months of the season. So, yeah, I think I, I think it's going to be tighter than folk think. Fair enough. Um, that leads us quite nicely into Hearts 1, Rangers 2. Um, 
Rangers getting their first big away win of the season. I think they've only beaten Hamilton and St Mirren in the league, so getting a win against, admittedly, a out of form Heart side at Tyne Castle is a mass result. Do you agree, Johnny? Yeah, I think uh, lots been made uh, <clears throat> Rangers away form. Obviously, that I think that went at Hamilton a, a few weeks ago. Well, it must be like a month ago now. Was the, maybe their first was it a first away win the season, wasn't it? Four one at Hamilton, mm-hmm. and even that was quite an unconvincing four one win. If those exist, it was one all with you know a quarter of the game left to go. Um, but that's Celtic and Rangers taking exactly the same points from away matches now, eleven from seven. Um, which maybe shows that I don't know. <clears throat> you can maybe say that's paper over the cracks recently for Rangers, but I, I don't think that might maybe be a bit harsh. Um, I'd say the stats the stats don't lie. Rangers and Celtic taking the same points from away games, uh, same amount of games as well. But I just think that this consistency that Celtic are, have shown over the last three years, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll win the league. I mean, they're conceding an average of less than a goal every two games. And when they want to turn it on, I mean, for me, looking every single time an old firm game comes up, there's there's not even like the notion of Rangers winning one doesn't even cross my mind. You just think that Celtic will turn up because when it's a big game, Celtic do turn up. And we've seen that today. They they might not play brilliantly, but they win big games. They've won, don't forget, seven trophies without fail since Brendan Rodgers came in. And there's a reason for that, and they might have had over those the years since Brendan Rodgers came in, they've had one or two slack performances, but on big days they just they do not let you down. Um, so for that reason, I think they they'll win the league ahead of ahead of Rangers. But as you say, a huge win today for Rangers. Um, I think for Hearts it was good to see Berra back, but it's just that as you say that team is so depleted at the moment. Mm-hmm. Berra was absolutely solid today, I thought. Christoph, sorry. You can only refer yeah. to him as Christoph. How come? <laughs> Michael Stewart. In the commentary for the game, every, he didn't he didn't call him Berra once. Just Christoph. <laughs> ah, you were thinking you oh. him or something, eh? <laughs> Just... uh, no, I thought he was really, really good, because in the fact that it was kind of doubtful as to whether he was going to be put back in or not in such a big yeah. game, since just coming back from a horrible injury, I thought he was really, really solid, and I... As you say, Johnny, Hearts are very, very depleted at the moment. They they look a, a shadow of what they looked like at the start of the season, to be honest. I mean, you compare Hearts team today to the one that beat Celtic at Tynecastle a couple of months ago, and it really is it's like night and day, not in a good way for them at the moment. So, yeah, I think having somebody like Berra back in there after injury, that should hopefully sort of show them up a wee bit at the back. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You've both mentioned injuries there, but there's no one in six and only one goal scored in that run. How much of it is down to injuries and are they using it maybe just as an excuse now Johnny nah not at all and I would never really in fact I don't even can't think of a time on this podcast that I would ever have given a team oh they've got injuries so that's kind of their excuse right now for being on bad form but I've never seen an injury crisis like the one that Hearts have had Um, the luck has been completely it's just been completely out I mean the amount of important players and it's not just players but you know players that were absolutely on fire for them at the start of the season Naismith Berra Uche uh, Suter I mean just four players that are probably some of your first names on the team sheet to be out for 
the length of time that they they're out for as well. It's not just a hamstring here and there. Um, it's been completely unlucky for them, and I thought they were. To be honest, Rangers were far the better in this. Well, they were in control second half despite being down to ten men, which doesn't bode well for Hearts. But um, I can understand why Levine, <laughs> Levine, albeit it was quite funny after the game, why he was so furious because I mean that second goal for Rangers is <clears throat> a scandalously poor decision. Really, let's be honest, it's, that is woeful, and it's mm. ultimately Levine probably thinks that that's cost his team, but. In attackingly, attacking wise, in the second half, I thought they offered very little. But um, so I, th- I think they're unfortunate today. But no, nah, I wouldn't. I would hundred percent give them the excuse of the. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a legitimate excuse. The injuries they've had. Mm-hmm. Well, I I've said in this podcast before that I I think I've said that a few times that I genuinely do think that there's something strange about the referees in this country. But they're sort of yeah, I'll just say it biased towards the old firm at times. Uh, and I quite I, I quite like that. I heard Craig Levine's comments after the match today, and I like now that it's become it's this a taboo has been lifted off it. I mean, you've heard Neil Lennon in the last few weeks speaking about Celtic giving a twelfth man at Parkhead, and uh, Craig Levine said it today. You have the likes of Steve Clark and Stephen Robinson inferring it, and a few times over the last year or so as well. Uh, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite for the fact that managers are kind of coming out and saying this now because it's some whether it's true or not. I don't know. I think it is, but obviously it's not proven. But I think I quite like the fact that managers are coming out and raising this as something that needs to be discussed because it's something that's been sort of murmured about in the game for years. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more of a problem with the general level of officiating in this country, to be honest. I mean, I've had many a, a, a debate after a few beers with a, a few old firm fans about whether they get more dodgy decisions in the rest of the league. Um, I probably would have taken your side in, in 99% of those debates. Lewis, but uh, just watching just any game, I mean, the standard is oh, tragic. Yeah. Oh, across the board. Aye. It's more that, incompetence than anything else, yeah. That one you didn't mention, by the way, Tom. I mean, are you sure you'd have mentioned it for the Celtic Aberdeen game? Um, maybe you were asleep. <laughs> the, <laughs> pen- the penalty decision. My goodness. That is, oh, of that's, course, yeah. That's top, okay, 10, top 10 worst decisions I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He headers it against his own arm, and his arm's a yard outside the box, and he gives a penalty. He, I, I genuinely just stared at my screen for like three minutes after that decision, just absolutely Wasn't speechless. Even just the fact he gave the penalty, it was just it was the, the absolute assur- the assurance that he gave it with, you know, this a confidence and arrogance. Oh, that I exactly. They pointed at it with, and you think, well. That, that's what leads you back to that thing again. You think if that was down the other end, would they have given that so oh. quick? And yeah, people people will uh, say that oh, it's a difficult decision in the heat of the moment. You might think it was a penalty and all the rest of it. It, it obviously does have a, an element of ang- ambiguity about it. So mm. surely, in a big big occasion like that, if you see something like that happening and you're in any doubt as to what happened, surely you don't give it rather than just dive in straight away and give the penalty. So no, I've got no no sympathy for the referee there. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless of the referees, well, we know it was a bad decision for Morales' goal. It was quite a good goal. And Lewis, if you were yeah. Dave King, if you're putting his shoes, how much would you be demanding for him when the um, uh, suitors eventually come? Well, I think in today's market, you've got to value uh, Alfredo Morales at ten million pounds. I think definitely, but probably mm. even more. I think you've been looking for a few million more. 
with the climate that we live in today. I mean, you consider Celtic have bought Celtic bought Odson Edward there for nine million in the summer, and I genuinely mm. believe that Alfredo Morelos is a better striker. I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not a huge Edward fan, as I've said before. So yeah, I think you're looking for you're looking for mega money for Alfredo Morelos to be honest. But mm. I don't think Rangers will. If a bid comes in, I don't see Rangers twisting. I think that they see they see retaining them and winning a getting closing the gap in Celtic, winning a league, winning a cup with Morelos on the side. I think they see that as more valuable than cashing in on them and getting ten, twelve million pounds in. I think they'll do their utmost to keep him there. Mm-hmm. Any advances on ten million plus, Johnny? Um, I would say it's in, well. As Lewis has said there, in this market, it's probably worth not not too far off ten million, and I think it's about time that Scottish football started to value. Uh, we started to value our players uh, a bit more because, I mean, the money that that players are going for in England is eye-watering, scandalous, um, and you know we're seen as the sort of place where you can come and get players for a decent value. Um, I just think we need to start. Demanding proper fees for our players, so I'm, I'm not one to take the take the mick out of of any team for saying this is our price and you'll have to match it. Fair enough. It's about time we started doing that, and I liked it when Aberdeen did the same thing with with McKenna in the summer when when Rain, eh, when Celtic came in for him. That's fair enough. If they want him, make them make him pay because if they're wanting to get someone of McKenna's quality from England, I guarantee they'll be paying that six seven million for him. So. You know what I mean? It's the, it's the same thing. It's about time we started to, to value our players. Mm-hmm. Um, the Another refereeing decision. Uh, Scott Arfield's tackle. I don't, don't think you have too many complaints about a red card there, uh, Lewis. No, I, I, my first instinct, well, it was one of those ones where you're sitting back in the chair watching it and you see that happening and it's one of those ones you instantly sort of jump forward because you mm-hmm. just sense controversy coming off it. Uh, if I was the referee there, he would have been sent off, absolutely no doubt about it. Although I did hear in the television, I, I don't know who this mystery referee is that BT should <laughs> employ, but they, they said they said that their sort of refereeing expert had said that it probably by the book it was a booking, but because I, I, I would say it goes in with quite a lot of excessive force. It was needless, mm-hmm. it was reckless. The keeper came out okay in the end because he jumped right up to have a go at him, but I would say it, it, it bordered and dangerous as well, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he absolutely had to go for me. Mm. Oh, it's a scandalous, scandalous. <laughs> I don't even pff, most blatant red card I've ever seen. I think just two set, genuinely a full two seconds after Slamal's got two hands on the ball, he goes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think like what Lewis says there. Who is this clown that BT have got telling them that that's a yellow? Because when Lewis was saying that there, I was thinking maybe it's Colum or something. No, can't be Colum. He would be having that fucking. He wouldn't be. He would never be toning a red down. So who is this? <laughs> who is this fool? Because there's someone out there that's actually been employed to be a referee that doesn't think that's a red card. We're sitting here yeah, discussing the standard. Show, but I've talked about the, exactly, John. Exactly. about the standard of our referees, and you'd like to think that this guy BT Sport have got who's summarising the games. You'd like to think he's a qualified SFA official. So if he's saying. It's a yellow, and the referee in the pitch is saying it's a red. I think that just goes to show everything that we've been talking about referees. There. Hmm. Well, I think everybody in the world's saying it's a red, apart from him. Um, hmm. But that does appear to be the case quite often. Uh, everybody in the entire stadium thinks it's a something opposite of the, what the referee thinks. For example, cup final today. Well, I didn't think there was even a 
there, well, there's maybe a few optimistic Celtic fans claiming for a penalty. Um, but Dallas doesn't let you down. Mm -hmm. Could well be, I don't know, just... I hope Ross Clark's listening to this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he gets a bit uppity about the referees, doesn't he? Yeah. It could well just be well, a member of the BT team being the rules. Yeah, it could very well be. Yeah, it could be a producer sitting with a, the SFA rule book, if you like. Yeah, mm -hmm. but they they don't. They certainly don't bill it as that. They do bill it as like a a referee analyst or whatever. So you'd really like to think that they've got a genuine referee up there. But I wouldn't mm -hmm. put it past it, Tom. No. Mm -hmm. hmm. From I think we'll move on unless anyone else has anything to say about the game. No, no I think better move on before our hatred comes out too much more. <laughs> Good. Um, we'll move from one level of incompetence in the referees to the uh, floodlight, the floodlight man. Is it one person who sorts it? Uh, <laughs> that's, that worked man. a lot better in my head. Um, but the game in question is Kilmar at three, Hibs nil. Uh, Brophy double and a Stuart goal. Um, and it sees Kilmarnock top the 11 month table for 2018 um, do you think they can maybe get Europe Johnny? no they're in the, they're in the hunt there's no doubt about that I mean they're, t they're two points off maybe the top more. Of, they're, they're the, two points off the top of the table they've won two out of their last six as well that's the most incredible thing um, and it's well I'm not saying it's a poor run I mean they lost to Aberdeen and they dropped point at Ibrox in that time, and obviously a, a very impressive victory yesterday. There's no doubt they're they're challenging. If you're, you won't be telling me that Steve Steve Clark's in that dressing room telling them they're aiming for top half. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. aiming to get, get into Europe. There's no doubt about that. Um, and looking behind them, there's no doubt they can do it as well. I mean, you've got a, an out of form Hearts team, a St Johnson team that they finished above last season, newly promoted Livingston. Then, by the time you get to Hearts. Uh, to Hibs and Aberdeen, they're seven and, and nine points behind. Okay, they've got a couple of games in hand, Aberdeen and one Hibs. But there's no, there's no doubt Kelly can can qualify for Europe, and I think that should really be their objective, Europa League, um, Europa League this season. Mm -hmm. um, from a Hibs perspective, Lewis, um, I think Ambrose in midfield in the first half at least, and that's now no wins in six. Do you think Lennon's under maybe a wee bit of pressure now? Well, it's funny you say that because I was uh, having a wee scroll through Twitter a half an hour or so before I came on the podcast, and I saw there was a there was a Hibs fan page that had been talking about whether it was worthwhile Lennon going or staying, and saying that they really wouldn't be bothered yeah. what happened, which you find uh, you do feel it's a bit ridiculous bordering on you know because mm -hmm. he's done wonders at that club for a club that struggled to get out of that championship for so many years. I think for them to actually be sitting, I think what are they seventh eighth in the league something like that. Eighth, I think yeah. for them eighth. So I think for for them to be sitting now and chastising Lennon for being eighth eighth in the league, only a couple of points off top six Europe, all the rest of it. I think for them to be uh, for them to be chastising him is a bit a bit far. But it is a worrying times for them. It's a rotten run of form they're on. The the they're very very leaky now. That that's a problem. And Lennon always, as much as you you would always associate him to be going forward with a flair players the likes of it and Boyle. Uh, I think he did always have them sort of built where they didn't concede many last year. They were quite they were quite stubborn. He didn't get much off Hibs, 
but this year they're, they're leaking like a tap to be honest and to see them sinking three down at Kilmarnock yesterday it was it was uh, quite quite alarming for them and as you say Ambrose in midfield as well it seems he's seems he's getting desperate he's trying to experiment a wee bit with his team try different things out so yeah I hope they I hope they do sort it out soon to be honest because I think on their day as I saw I watched them live in the opening day of the season Mm-hmm. against Motherwell and on their day I mean Hibs going forward are one, definitely one of the best teams in the league they've got some of the most exciting players in the league and I, mm-hmm. yeah I think if they can sort it out at the back and at least get us a foundation to build off the, the goals will start coming again I think I do think it is just a right bad run of form and they will recover mm-hmm. um, Moving back to our Kilmarnock persuasion we've actually got a question from Calm Scott uh, Calm Scott that's um, particularly pertinent to the topic uh, he says and I'll Direct this one to you, Johnny. Um, thoughts on Kilmarnock's phenomenal consistency since Clark has came, picked up more points than any other team in the calendar year, which we've just mentioned. Yet they are never mentioned in the same breath as the city clubs. Um, and obviously, Johnny, you did mention them in the same breath. Um, well, Callum, I think that's a very good point. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the consistency under Clark's been. Remarkable and something that Kilmarnock have not seen for years and years and years. Um, the fact that they've got more points this calendar year just sort of sums that up. They have been incredibly consistent and to be two points off the top of the league, as I said, is a phenomenal achievement. And I think, yep, as I said, uh, they can easily compete for, for Europa League this year. Um, and it wouldn't be too much of a surprise to see them finish above... Hebs Aberdeen or Hearts at this moment in time or even all three of them I still think Aberdeen will, will come good um, in the end but it would not be a surprise for me to see them qualify for the Europa League um, or at least the sort of Europa League first qualifying round if you will um, and in the end Callum just bile bitterness they are never mentioned the same breath as the City Clubs sad you would sad you would actually fancy Aberdeen out of all the sorry not Aberdeen Kilmarnock out of all the a team that was me think mentioned them in the same breath as a city club there hear that <laughs> uh, I think out of all the all the teams that get into these Europa League qualifying rounds from our, from Scotland I think to be honest if Kilmarnock get in there you I wouldn't go so far to say you maybe fancy them getting to the group stages but you would back them to do quite well especially with Steve Clark mm-hmm. at the helm with all his experience I mean they don't they're not a team that when you watch them against the old firm especially they're not a team that are phased by teams that are perceived to be better than them I mean they can get their sleeves up and ro- and about anybody so I would on, I would fancy them to do pretty well if they did qualify for Europe and I, ho- I hope they do I really hope they do mm-hmm. um, and I think we'll end the, the Kelly Hibbs chat on uh, just I just want a one word answer here and I fear I might know the answer but uh, and I'll ask you both I'll start with Johnny though um, who finishes higher Kilmarnock or Hibbs? Kilmarnock Lewis. I'll go with Kilmarnock as well. There you go, Calm. I hope you can sleep tonight. <laughs> um, and I think moving from uh, Calm's team, we'll move to Lewis, your team, who oh, got beaten by Livingston. Um, Lewis, what happened? Well, it seemed after the highs of last week at Aberdeen, where you thought, you genuinely thought, not too much, but a wee bit of you was thinking the team's maybe turned a corner here. It was a, an absolute trouncing, to be honest, against a poor Aberdeen side, it must be said. So then they went to Livingston and you, you allowed yourself to have a wee bit of hope inside you about it. But it, it seemed to just go back to what we'd been seeing from Motherwell all season. It was long ball, 
against a team that do it better than us. So there was, I mean, ourselves and Livingston are effectively the same team with the same tactics, but Livingston have done it a lot more successfully than we have this season. Over the last few weeks, we'd sort of shifted out of the three five two a wee bit and gone to four four two sometimes. They'd mm-hmm. been attempting to play a wee bit more football, play through the midfield a wee bit more. Gail Bigger has been come into the team and going forward anyway, he's been quite effective for us. So yeah, we've been looking to be a wee bit more creative and they seem to just ditch that at Livingston and just try to have us at a, a slog and see if we could match them. And we didn't, but ultimately it comes down to, if you saw the goals, I mean it comes down to mm-hmm. Gail Bigger switching off from one of their long throw-ins. I mean that's, fairly, that's an avoidable goal because when you come up against Livingston, you know that they're going to utilise the long throw, so they will have been working on that all week, so that's a really disappointing goal to lose, and then they had a, a clever corner routine in the second half as well, which again, we've just fell for hook, line and sinker, and yeah, the boys got an easy header, easy header at goal, so it, it was disappointing, disappointing defending, but a defending has been poor all season, it doesn't really come as a surprise, you get the impression Stephen Robinson's tearing his hair out with him a wee bit, it's making him look that, I mean, for a manager, to go up against Livingston and concede a goal from a corner and one of their trademark long throw-ins, that must be pretty embarrassing almost for a manager. Makes it look as if he's un- under-drilled his team, if anything. So, yeah, I, I don't think Robinson will be best pleased with it at all. I do expect a reaction against Celtic, but unfortunately I think they've, they've probably picked the wrong team to come out and have a reaction against because I don't mm-hmm. think we, we are good enough at, at this moment in time anyway. To definitely not good enough to beat them but I highly doubt we're going to get a draw especially as Celtic really need, really could be doing the coming and beating us at Fir mm-hmm. Park so I thought yeah the Aberdeen game as much you hoped it was, it, they turned a corner but it's starting to look like it was maybe it was maybe just a, a one-off which is mm-hmm. disappointing um, Do you think maybe a change of management team Lasley and Robinson out might be an answer maybe not tonight or tomorrow but not too far down the line. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I, I would <laughs> reserve judgment. At this moment in time, it's not going brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I think that Robinson and Lasley do have quite a bit of credit in the bank for last season. They, they turned around an awful team with a great transfer window last summer. They got a good team in the park. We, we all know the story of last season with Motherwell. We, did. Mm-hmm. we played a certain way. We were good at it. It was successful. Uh, and they got to the two cup finals didn't win either of them admittedly which we should remember as well but I think last season was a good season for the club both and off the park so they do have a lot of credit in the bank for that the recruitment policy in the summer has been bizarre to say the least you know guys like Liam Donnelly Connor Salmon uh, Rodriguez Goran's maybe starting to come good now but there's a few questionable uh, recruitment done at this there's quite a lot of questionable recruitment done at the summer mm-hmm. and that, that does come down to the management team unfortunately, I think that they, admittedly we had we had cried out for a change of tactics and lead up to the games against Dundee and St Mirren which were crucial because we're going to be down there So mm-hmm. and we'd cried out for a change of tactics that we need to get the ball down more, we need to play a bit more football, change the shape for those games and to their absolute credit they did and it worked because we won both games and we played pretty well uh, Ibrooks obviously was a it was a disaster, and it, it, what was most alarming on that day was that the players seemed to sort of st- just stop trying in the second half. We do look we do look quite weak at times. It's at times they look the complete opposite from last year, where they were so organised and well drilled. We look like there's absolutely they're devoid of a game plan sometimes at the moment. But that is Mullerwell, you know, it's it's a roller coaster supporting them, and I think while we're going through a bad for a very bad run of form, probably a fairly poor season. 
Uh, I think that I c- you could make a case if you wanted for Stephen Robinson to remain as manager going into next year and give him another, mm-hmm. give him another shot at it as long as he keeps us up, which I think he will do. And ultimately, when you see the sporting intelligence figures that were published during the week, there with one of the smaller budgets in the league, mm-hmm. as much as you like to aim for more, and after last year, you feel we have gone backwards a wee bit. Ultimately, if we stay up and we're not in any immediate danger of relegation, it's generally that's generally pass marks for us. Mm-hmm. Um. Johnny, I'll ask you from more of a Livingston perspective. Obviously, another good result at home after what maybe we thought this will be them leveling back down to where maybe not quite where everyone expects them to be at the start of the season because it looks like they're just about safe from the perils of Dundee and St. Mirren that we'll get onto soon. But um, some things that have stood out, or some players that have stood out, uh, Kelly, Halkett, Sean Byrne, I think there's maybe cases for Scotland caps there. Yeah, well, I think with Kelly, um, there was maybe even a case of a, a case for him getting a cap when McDonald was called up the last time out. Um, Halkett, there's been a sort of we're struggling for centre halves. Uh, although I think the the centre half pairing, well, um, for the last qualifiers, McKenna and Bates went down quite well. The last two qualifiers, should I say, uh, Burns in a very difficult place at the park to get. Um, to probably pick, go and pick up a cap with I mean, the form of the Celtic midfield that we already touched mm-hmm. upon earlier in the podcast but Barnes probably out of those is maybe even my f- favourite player he's probably my favourite player in that Livingston team I just think his his energy levels is um, the way he flies into tackles he's one of the I really enjoyed watching him in the championship as well um, mm-hmm. Pittman too in that midfield I, I really like the, the midfield I think the Lithgow and, and Halka get a lot of a lot of praise at centre half and the, and the midfield maybe doesn't get as much of the attention but I think um, they've been just as big a part of, of Livingston's success this season um, and that Tuna win at the weekend I think quite important one for for Livingston they hadn't scored in, in four games and they were obviously well, no even I was about to say they were winless but there's 99 points saying that obviously can't win without scoring but aye, they were winless in four games as well so it's it's important for them to uh, get back scoring goals and and that will give them a bit of confidence in the top half of the table as well you would never have thought that um, I mean I, I had them as sticklings to go down I'll hold my hands up on that I'm completely wrong I think the majority did I think I did Johnny to be honest I think aye. it's anybody that told you they had Livingston to do anything other than the playoffs anything above the playoffs I think is blatantly lying to you I think everybody yeah. had them to go down it's an absolute exactly. credit to them where they are to be honest and then the mess that they got themselves at the start of the season with Miller uh, after mm-hmm. two or three games, you thought they're even more of a stick on to go down, but they've just been they've been a credit to the league really, um, and the fact that they're pissing off so many people with their with their pitch is just making me enjoy their presence even more. To be honest, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Lewis, I'll ask you about Halkett. He's out of contract in the season. Um, he has been alongside probably Kelly and Byrne the the one that seems to receive the most praise on a regular basis. Sort of what level do you think he could get to? He's still only young, I think he's like 23. Yeah, well, I've no doubt that he could he'd probably go on to play in the English Championship at some point, you know. Mm. Uh, I think, we're, as Johnny was kind of saying earlier on, we're guilty of, of underestimating our players up here at times. We, mm-hmm. we seem to undervalue them. And no, I, I would think if he keeps developing in the route he's going, he's, I've, I've seen him actually this season as well, I would think he could easily play in the English Championship, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. Livingston, have got, I think that is going to be a problem for them as they go forward into the season, especially January. People, they, You know, they, they probably ask, but the crowds they get, they're probably still running with a wage structure of a, a championship team. 
so their players mm-hmm. will would be able to be enticed up enticed away. Maybe even not the clubs down south. Maybe the the bigger clubs in the own league. Your your Aberdeen, mm-hmm. your Hibs, your Hearts, and the likes. Uh, might be able to tempt some of their players with a few extra hundred pounds a week in January at the end of the season, and I think that mm-hmm. is where that Gary Holt will really have his work out trying to replace and keep up how they've been playing and how well they've been doing with their modest budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that rounds up Livingston Motherwell quite nicely. Uh, move on to the final Premiership game of the weekend before having a look at Scotland's group for the Euros qualification. Uh, it was St Mirren 1, Hamilton 3. Johnny, uh, was this just typical Hamilton and just turning up when they really need to? Yeah, um, I think you've taken that probably from my notes for the Dundee programme, haven't you? Um, I, I tend not to read your section, Johnny. Ah, okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> well, in my notes for the Dundee programme for the game against Hamilton, I wrote exactly that line. Um Hamilton tend to turn up when they need to turn up, um, especially against teams in and around them. Um, Hamilton have picked up four points this season against teams out with the bottom four. Uh, they beat Livingston at home and they drew at Kilmarnock. Other than that, there are other, albeit only nine points, obviously, but they've all been picked up. Uh, beating Motherwell at Fair Park, uh, one which Lewis will remember fondly on the first game. Um, and then... <laughs> St Mirren yesterday and they they beat was it St Mirren twice they've beaten actually um, yep they beat St Mirren 3-0 early in the season as well so beating teams in and around them and it's it's so important for Hamilton I mean if you obviously if you switch the results round um, Hamilton are six points behind St Mirren so the games against the teams around you are so important and Hamilton have got another one midweek against Dundee as we're saying which is mm-hmm. huge again, and you would not, you wouldn't, you wouldn't back against them going there and getting something. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, Hamilton just seem to seem to turn up, and Martin Cannon seems to have that knack to get them to turn up when he when he wants them to. I mean, his win record at, at Hamilton's like twenty five percent or something, but I guarantee mm-hmm. his if there was such a thing as win record in the matches that we have to win in record, then they would have like. 85% or something mm-hmm. those games where it's a 3 o'clock kickoff on Saturday everyone thinks I'm going to lose and nobody's really watching bang mm-hmm. 3 points Ackies yeah, did Hamilton really win if no one notices <laughs> one of those um, great questions isn't it yeah <laughs> first of all taking, into, taking great philosophy um, <laughs> Lewis there was a few contentious decisions. One that was given, I say contentious in Jackson's case, it could have been a red itself, the second booking. That was fair, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I would say it was. I think, uh, I suppose it doesn't matter because it. I think it was quite obvious that it was a sending off, but mm-hmm. his first booking was quite harsh, I thought, earlier on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think no, there can be no arguments that he was, uh, he was due to be sent off there. As Johnny says, it was one of those matches uh, where Hamilton when they need to win when it's a kind of do or die and it's a match it's a match against somebody down there with them they do tend to go and they tend to produce the goods and the one thing is though for Hamilton I suppose it's generally the same it's the same faces that are that pop up with them you know it's really a Bingham and these sort of people that the sort of newer players that they've got in that go and 
grab the grown grab winners in these matches. You know, it generally does always come down to your, your Dougie Emery's. I know he's been away and came back again, but your Ziggy Gordon's and all the rest that dig them out of holes constantly. And as these guys move on and get older and all the rest of it, you do you do wonder if Hamilton's next sort of quote Martin Scott's getting in and fitted in quite well, he'll mm-hmm. he'll be there till he retires, I would think. But uh, you do wonder where the next sort of core of players is going to come from, if they're going to keep doing the big sort of the Great Escape rescue mission every single year. Although, having said mm-hmm. that, I would imagine, as much as they've, they've had a start of the season similar as they have to most seasons, but I think they're, they're ninth, I mean, they're above Motherwell at the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So, they are actually sitting, they go into the Christmas period and everything, they are sitting much, much prettier than they ever, ha- they ever have, really. I mean, by this stage, they're usually always bottom by a point or two or sitting in the playoff spot. So I think y- yeah, you're, yeah. A, you're a point ahead of them, by the way. Are we? Yeah, yeah. one point oh, ahead. We're at a Hamilton tenth at the moment, then. Yeah, yeah. Right, I, well, even then, even then, I mean, they're out, they're out of the relegation spots as it is, and yeah. they've got depressingly. I mean, they've got every chance at ending up above us at Christmas or so. Uh, mm. So yeah, I think Hamilton are actually they're, they're doing okay. Yeah. Mm. Johnny, do you think Siggy Gordon's tug? On Simon Jackson's shirt could have warranted a red card as well. Only got a booking. Um, he's a long way from goal, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the yellow may just be about the right decision. Um, I would probably have to to watch it again just to sort of see where the covering defence uh, defenders mm-hmm. were. But on first sight, it looked like it was the. The right decision. He was quite far away from goal. Although saying that, I mean Jackson is one of the most lethal goal scorers about. So he only needs a sniff. Um, but I also do think that we should talk about Dundee United now, and that you've been delaying it for far too long. Um, no, there are only four <laughs> games in the championship worth speaking about, and we've got the Scotland European <laughs> Championship qualification group to come before that. Okay. Um, so I think we will start. We'll move on to. So it's all right for us. It's all right for us to go through my misery from Saturday, but not all right to go through yours from Friday. <laughs> then that that the way it well, is. When you host, Lewis, you can do all the Dungeon United games you want, but when I'm I in this hot seat, I think That's actually, you know what we'll do? I think we'll review the 2010 Scottish Cup final. <laughs> the last half an hour of the pod, um, but before we get onto that, Scotland's group for the Euros: Belgium, Russia. Cyprus, Kazakhstan, San Marino. Is it winnable, Johnny? Eh, well, I think Belgium will win the group. But do we have a chance of qualifying? Absolutely. Mm. Um, There should be no excuses, I don't think. Um, Looking at the the three teams below us, Cyprus were relegated from the third division in the uh, Nations League just there, and Kazakhstan got six points uh, in in a fourth-tier group. Including draws with and uh, with Andorra, and and two draws with Latvia, um, and obviously San Marino zero points with a negative sixteen goal difference. They've not drawn a game, not won a game probably in about fifteen years or something. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind that we should be looking at those three teams, and eighteen points should be the requirement. Um, I'm not saying I'll be livid if we get sixteen out of eighteen, but the, the aim should be to pick up. Given that we're uh, Group B in the Nations League and they're all D now, we should easily be looking to get 16, uh, 18 points. I don't think Cyprus are a great team. Kazakhstan's the same. There's just that fear factor with, with Kazakhstan of, oh my God, that's miles away. 
and mm-hmm. with Cyprus is probably oh my god that's going to be humid and warm and hot and maybe people I think Cyprus were probably a better team than uh, a few years ago than they are now um, it comes down to me to the Russia games um, and I don't think Russia are some sort of undefeatable team I mean obviously they beat Spain in, at the World Cup in their, in their own backyard but I think it, it should hopefully come down to the head-to-heads between us and Russia and you would have to I don't know, you would be very hopeful. I, I think it's Belgium and Russia, when that came out, was like, that's that's very tough. But looking at the three teams below, I don't think you could have picked a much more generous... I mean, maybe if you take out Kazakhstan for Gibraltar or something like that, you could hardly have picked a more generous bottom three. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've got the backup in, in March. Yeah. Um, I think Serbia got Ukraine and Portugal. So there's a decent chance that they could go through that group. I mean, and then that obviously that eliminates them from the possibility of having to play us in the playoffs. So no, I'm pleased with the draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the Nations League there. Do you think, Lewis, do you think it might play on the nation and the squad's psyche that we don't really need to qualify? Obviously, it'd be brilliant if we will, and I imagine, but I know McLeish, well, I know McFan, because that's what he said on the sports team, but that they said that they don't want to have to use the Nations League. But do you think it might just be in the back of their minds at all times thinking, okay, we don't necessarily need to win this? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, no, I, I'm actually kind of uh, conversely to that. I think it'll prove to be a positive thing for us. The Scotland in the past, when they've played in these qualification groups, you feel it's that, I mean, they can play with it, you all know it, when it's like a meaningless game, when the group's dead and buried effectively, and we've got a mm-hmm. difficult away game, they'll go and win it, you know, when it means nothing, or they'll go and beat no a team ranked far above us and a friendly away from home and things like that because the pressure's off them and ball intensive purposes it doesn't matter so I think yeah, while obviously this, this group's still hugely important you know you want to take advantage of any chance to qualify you've got I think that maybe just by having that slight sort of insurance policy of well whatever happens in this group we've got quite winnable fairly winnable playoffs against Finland coming up in uh, next year or whatever so we've got that banked already. We know we've got a chance. And yeah, we want to qualify through the group because you do, you want to get out of your group. That's the conventional route in. But I think it might sort of take some burden off the players' shoulders and let them play with a bit more a bit more of freedom, especially in the matches at Hamden. You might you might get the players being a wee bit less tense, a wee bit more a wee bit more sort of expressive when they play that when they play at Hamden, which we need to get back to and for these games we need to get back to being a fortress because as Johnny was saying I have no doubt that Belgium are going to win the group I think that is practically a given but it's one of those ones where you know if we can get Belgium in the the last day the last game even and we're in a good position we're quite rosy Belgium have maybe won the league won the top of the group and they're already qualified or whatever you'd like to think that maybe a, a full Hamden we could get a point off Belgium or we could beat Belgium and mm-hmm. I think that I think that if the players knew that it was for not a bonus but if it was for another route of qualifying into the major tournament as a, as well as the Nations League, I think it might take the pressure off them a bit and you might actually see the the best coming out of them. And in terms of Russia, as much as they played pretty well at the World Cup there, the squad at the time, it was sort of ageing, I think. I mean, they did a lot yeah. of the consensus around about the, the Russian fans at the World Cup was that this was going to be the last major tournament you would see that group of players together for. So you'd like to think maybe for the qualification group that Russia will be bleeding through some mm-hmm. more younger players in that haven't got experience and don't have as many caps as the 
sort of established squad that they've been playing with over the last few years do. So I would like I would I would like to think that we can compete toe to toe and hopefully pip a a new a newly assembled Russian mm-hmm. team, especially as I say at Hamden. Mm-hmm. In a wordless, will we beat the, the Euros? Uh, I'm going to say yes because I I think I think they're making it they're making it easier not easy but they are they are making it less difficult shall we say for smaller mm-hmm. nations and nations that haven't had access to these things for years to qualify so, and I think I I don't think for some reason pardon me I don't think it will come through the the group stages I think it will come through our nations league but I think a long word here, yes <laughs> long word. I have several you asked for a word and I gave you seventy there you go. Mm-hmm. Johnny, and I can't stress this enough, but in one word, will he be? Yes. Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> um, and now on to the championship. Uh, four, just the four games. I Friday think, night, Tom. Weekend. Yeah, um, start with the start with the start at the start, Tom. When you go, mm-hmm. yeah. Friday night. And we won't speak. Yeah. Me and Lewis have said our one word. <laughs> you can dissect it all. Enjoy. I'll give you, I'll give you one word for Friday night's game. Oh, here we go. He's gonna swear, is it? <laughs> talk through, talk through every single Shanklin goal for some of the listeners that might not have seen it. On you go. Oh, it was shite. That was the one word I was. Hey, yeah, I knew it. The hard um, man was gonna swear. <laughs> um, it was it was a difficult night. Um, difficult just... was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst thing. I would say the worst thing. One of the key factors that made it so irritating, annoying, just oh, terrible was the fact that we had got ourselves all very excited um, and there was a really good atmosphere at Tannadice. There was banners, there was flags and not probably one of the bigger uh, attendances since we've been down, if not one of the biggest. Um, and then two minutes in, we're just hardly touched the ball and Shanklin scored already and even after that goal despite us not starting very well and looking back on it it did kind of set the tempo for the game it wasn't just a, a bad start because we were nervous for whatever reason um, it just never got any better um, we thought maybe the, the keeper going off might instill a bit more confidence in the back four because um, Seacurst has been Nielsen's man and Rakovan was Laszlo's man and neither have really done anything I think we've faced I think about 18 penalties this season uh, all including the League Cup and not one has been saved I think that's right I haven't been keeping a, a track but that, that could very well be right I can't remember any penalties been saved by either of them and they've had about the same chance not not that you expect keepers to save loads of penalties, but you're expecting a lot better than null in 18-19. Um, and I think that sort of just showed the team. And it, just, it was like watching Laszlo, the United. Thoroughly, thoroughly depressing at times. And all credit to Air because they totally nullified us. And Although I don't think it was the hardest thing to do because the players, by all accounts, just looked like... Or were just looked... Like they didn't want to be there. I know they had this weekend off and it was penciled in as their because of the game being on the Friday night they'll have a weekend, they'll go away. I think they're in Dublin this weekend, like Montrose and I think Dumbarton as well. Dumbarton and Beacon. 
Martin Bacon. and Bacon were playing yesterday and they were booking the exact same flight to Dublin last night. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think some of them are way there. And by the looks of it, they just clocked off a day early. Um, the worst I've seen aired play for United, one of our key players this season. Um, I know, Johnny, you you criticised the wingers or lack of. You were obviously watching different games saying there wasn't any, but they were just so wide and left the game so open. Five, you looked like a player who hadn't played for three weeks. Stanton had his sort of a few good half chances, half bursts of energy, which you sort of know what you get from him. Fairly consistent. Safranco was totally isolated up front. Um, had a few nice touches. And I hope, given this was the first proper televised game, obviously just on Alba, so it's not going to have the watch in millions, but I think it was pretty clear to tell that Safranco is a cut above the rest of the players in his team. And he. I think we'll be doing well to hold on to him because he's only on loan but it would be nice to get some sort of deal for him because even in a game like that you could tell he was alright um, but Paul Watson at right back why on earth we've converted a, a Falkirk squad centre half into a right back in this system I'm not sure um, Puff knew that he wasn't a right back and it didn't take us very long to know that he wasn't a right back um, and then against one of the the best players outside the top flight in Scotland Declan McDade his inadequacies will be shown and they were shown against Hasty against, uh, uh, in the last game against Alloa um, and that's a real problem position for us because the, the alternatives are Murdoch who is just of a similar level of incompetence at right back and then Sam Wardrop, who we've hardly seen, who we got from Celtic and heard good things from, um, from the back. He, he was more of a winger when he first came, was he not? But Wardrop, no, he's a fullback. He's the most oh, fullback-looking right. fullback in the world. <laughs> um, but if he's not getting a game over those two, then you worry that Nielsen um, doesn't rate him at all. And my, I was speaking about it before the game, saying that if there's one position that Nielsen can mask until January to sort it out or sort of develop a player would be right back because that's where he played his career and you're thinking if if there is an inadequacy he can tuck him in or get someone there who's got the basic capability just to, to not stand out in the way Watson has this season um, and then but no that was totally proven wrong after two minutes on Friday but um, from a positive aspect it might be the kick that the team needs because it although we did beat Alloa we weren't anywhere near convincing and from Nielsen's perspective it might just show him that this squad is far from finished that we need another option in midfield because Five and Stanton are made of glass as good as they are um, and you could do with another creative option and if Clark's not playing so Franco can look isolated and obviously something he's done it right back whether it be get Wardrop in or bring someone in if there's the money to do it. I know we're, there's a talk of a, a takeover from America, again, a different one, that could happen as soon as tomorrow. But we've heard that so many times, and I'm not getting my too, my, myself too excited about that. But I'm trying not to get too disheartened by the defeat because I do have a lot of faith in Nielsen that he will turn things around. And the only thing it has dent is the fact that I, I, I did think we might run away with the league in my naivety. Um, something that has been pointed out under just about every single podcast in the last three years. Don't know about you, but, Johnny, but I regret asking. Um, 
Kind of. <laughs> um, no, it feels good to get that off my chest. Uh, uh, by the way, the Scotland fixtures have just come out and probably been played whilst you were talking about that. <laughs> um, Kazakhstan away, first game. San Marino away, second game. Um, that's a decent start. We know we need to get six points straight off the bat. Then mm-hmm. we've got Cyprus at home, Belgium away, Russia at home. Uh, that's not a double header. Cyprus, Cyprus at home, Belgium away is a double header. Okay. Then next double header is Russia at home, Belgium at home. Fuck. Then Russia mm-hmm. away, San Marino at home, and then we end with Cyprus away, Kazakhstan at home. So all of our tough games are right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a good thing. that's got. Yeah, I suppose that's. I think that's a good thing as well. Um, we start with games that we know we need to win anyway. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna have no matter what this what happens in the group, we're gonna have to beat San Marino. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes a point might be acceptable against Russia, but you just don't know mm-hmm. that if you start with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think having the big having the bigger games in the middle, I think will. Yeah, I think that's quite a good thing because it means I don't know. It's Scotland. They'll always. They'll always find a new way of bottling it in some way, but I think if we can start with who is it, Kazakhstan away first, and then San Marino. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think if we can start with the first international break with six points in the board, I know one of them is against San Marino, but if we can get a right good beating of San Marino, win away at Kazakhstan, <laughs> and then start to move into your Russia's at homes and your Belgium's at homes and the likes of it, which are huge games, I think that yeah, I think that is the best way to have them, and then even if. The big games, maybe, yeah, I know we do need to take things from them to have a realistic hope of getting out of this group. But even if the you know the big important games don't necessarily go away, we don't get maximum points out of them. We have got some games after it. You know, it doesn't all hinge mm-hmm. on it as much as it technically, as much as it probably it will. Technically, it won't. If you know what I mean, we do have some games after it where we can build some more momentum. So yeah, I would have them in the middle. Hmm. See, first of all, breaking news as it happens, obviously you'll be listening to this and tomorrow, hopefully, or Monday, Tuesday, and you'll all know this already, but um, what you don't know is our analysis of Queen of South 1, Partick 0. So, Johnny, could you um, talk us through that? The Partick Thistle players were at an SAS camp, um, and it hasn't seemed to work. No, uh, so far it's been a complete disaster for... Caldwell at Thistle I mean there's a genuine possibility that Thistle not only could actually be worse than Falkirk but it could actually suffer back to back relegations I mean looking at their form loss 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 draw loss and their draws against Falkirk Um, just an absolutely terrible form I mean at the start of the season I I seen them I saw them against uh, Falkirk and I beat them it was 2-1 that day and Partick were convincingly better than Falkirk but the, since then they appear to have been well and I thought at the time Archibald going was the right decision but clearly called well and I mean I'll give him obviously more time but it's just been a complete disaster mm-hmm. so far and, and obviously Caldwell's a manager who at his previous club was fair to say uh, well didn't live up to expectations in the end either so he doesn't come with the, the greatest of reputations so I think I, I don't know how long it'll take for Thistle fans to start questioning um, 
the form that they're on just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with Johnny there. I think at the time when they appointed Gary Cogwell, you did give them the benefit of the doubt because I think at that time you maybe didn't appreciate that the problems at Partick Thistle are as deeply embedded as it's clear that they maybe are. So I think you thought that maybe Gary Cogwell, having been having managed at a decent level down south, and then coming down quite a considerable step down coming down to Partick Thistle, you thought that that might get them swinging again. But it, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just not worked. I mean, you look back at it now. Uh, with the kind of predicament they were in. I mean they, they had a bad bad start before Caldwell came in as well remember and you think to yourself mm, was that really the best appointment considering the fact although he did okay in brief intervals and he could consider himself quite unlucky to be sacked I think at Wigan and uh, Chesterfield wasn't yeah I think mm-hmm. he you know he never, never achieved anything of any great note either and ultimately both didn't end great for him so no it, it is a wee bit of a strange appointment to be honest mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Dunfermline's balancing act up top. Um, seen them play Elbak Terry, friend of the show, Robin Muirhead, and Aidan Kina. And it worked. They won 3 0. They think if you can get those three, and potentially Higginbottom, Lee Longridge, Andy Ryan, uh, around them playing well, they could be a force again, like we thought they would be after the playoffs. Ross County snatched a last minute winner against Alloa to, to keep up with their. And Johnny, you were at Inverness 2, Falkirk 3? Yeah, um, quite a, well, a really good game. Uh, Inverness started really, really well, took the lead six minutes in, and you thought, to be honest, the way they continued to play after the goal, I thought this could end up being 3 or 4 for Inverness quite comfortably. But Petrovicius puts in a, a loopy cross, is the best way to describe it, and... Ridgers kind of comes two or three yards off his line and the ball is genuinely like four yards out and then he goes all the way back to his line so the defenders just don't pick up Rudd and he nods it in unmarked from four yards terrible goalkeeping um, and then Rudden again on loan from Rangers 19 years old the kids go in places he's a really really good player um, skins Sean Rooney and again he puts it through Ridgers he should easily save it to be honest but uh, really good from Rudden, confident young lad. He's, he's a really good player. He's been a spark of uh, light in a, in a dark season for, for Falkirk. But I think that kind of shows McKinnon what he kind of prides himself on. Um, and that is having a very good link, um, a very good scouting network. And he was only in... In, uh, he was only Falkirk manager for about two hours on deadline day and he got Zach Rudden through the door and he's been Falkirk's probably best player this season so it tells you a lot um, and he was obviously a big miss last couple of weeks as well when he was away wasn't allowed to play in the cup mm-hmm. by Rangers and was away with Scotland um, Oakley levelled it with a terrible terrible marking from Falkirk but Scott Harrison had actually the goal disallowed against Inverness on the opening day which was perfectly legitimate in the last minute and I've not seen a celebration like that in a long time. It was mm-hmm. just an overjoyed away end. I mean, they've been through some amount of shite this season, Falkirk fans. <laughs> like, serious levels of shite. Um, mm-hmm. That game against Queen in the South is one of the worst performances I've ever seen from any professional football team in my life. It was abysmal. Um, but there's real fight and determination about them now. Um, and I think they can they can kick on. Um, certainly, their game. <laughs> they've got Alloa next, 
which is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, moving downwards to League One, only 10 points separate the bottom seven. Arbroath beat Sennheismuir 5-2, bouncing back from their loss at Stranraer last week. Um, Wraith won 2-0 at home to Airdrie, uh, Nes- making Nesbitt the joint top scorer in Scotland alongside Lawrence Shanklin on 16 goals, I think. Um, and Trolls won 2-0 at East Fife, Stranraer won 2-1 at Forfar, and then Barton won 4-1 at uh, home to Brecon. Um, and Lewis, uh, I know you like this player, but do you think Dom Thomas might be one of the best players in League One? Oh, I think, without a doubt. I think, uh, for whatever reason or another, some people say he might have a bad attitude or all the rest of it. I don't know. He's, anytime, any sort of things I see from him in videos or in social media, whatever, he seems like a very, very stand-up guy. But uh, I think he is, a, he is a player of a higher calibre than League One football, I would say. His performances mm-hmm. so far for Dumbarton do show that. I think he, mm-hmm. he struggled to assert himself, both at Motherwell and Comarnock, he struggled to assert himself on... Uh, Scottish Premiership football and it does just come down to mm. one thing he has got it all but he has no end product at this level anyway he, he struggles with picking out a good cross or cutting inside and finishing That that's the element of his game that he struggled with at Motherwell and seemingly struggled with it Comarnock as well but oh, when he drops mm. down to League One you know he's scoring he's assisting every week he's playing really well maybe I don't know maybe I can mm. see Comarnock keeping him on beyond the end of the season so you would think I don't know maybe a, a move to the, a championship club's on the cards for him but I think he's definitely, mm-hmm. he could play at a higher level than League One. Mm-hmm. Um, a lower level in League One is League Two, um, where there are 20 goals and three red cards in the five games. Uh, Clyde drew Theol Berwick in what I've described as a Stan Broadwood. That's been 3 0 down. Um, Albion Rovers drew one all with Count Beath. Serlin uh, won 5 2 against Elgin in the joint goaliest game of the weekend alongside Arbroath's win. Um, uh, Peter Head won 2 1 against Annan and Edinburgh won 2 against Queen's Park. Johnny, who do you think blinks first out of Edinburgh and Peter Head? Well, history would kind of tell you it would be Peter Head, but I, I don't know, there's something a bit different about them this season. I think Peter Head have. They seem to be grinding games out a little bit more. Um, which I'm not sure if is a, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think they've got they should have more know-how and uh, obviously their squad depth is quite something for League Two, so I think it should be them. Um, Peterhead that go on to win the league, but it should have been them that went on to win the league last year. So, um, but I just want to point out Berwick, who destroyed what would have been quite a nice and. If not nice, then simple back page for me in the Berwickshire News this week. Um, we're 3-0 up at half-time against Clyde. Um, two teams that I've seen both, I've seen them both win at Elgin in the last uh, two weeks ago and three weeks ago. And they were both very decent, both won very comfortably. Uh, I think Johnny Harvey, new manager at Berwick, will go on and do quite fine there. Uh, eight points. There are now equal distance between the playoffs and they are I'll be in despite being second last. Mm-hmm. Nice, good stat. Um, that brings us nicely up to the questions. We've got a few. We've answered Calm Scott's earlier about Kilmarnock and uh, the bias that he sees against this club. Um, we'll start with John McNabb's question. Um, thank you, my ad. Um, he, he asks, and I'll ask you this, Lewis. And there's two questions. Just mm-hmm. two questions here. Can Aberdeen take the next step under McInnes? Is he just a victim of being against the great Celtic team? 
yes, I think he is the victim of being up against a great Celtic team. Mm-hmm. I th- I don't think, but I don't think that that's anything to do with Aberdeen. I don't think it demeans them in any way. What you need to remember is, I know it's the it's the obvious, but it's very very relevant. Celtic have financial spending power more than tenfold what Aberdeen or any other club in Scotland do have at the moment. To be honest, so. Yeah, I think he is guilty of coming up against a very well financially backed Celtic team and a Celtic team that is very, very used to winning. And I think the fact that more often than not in these domestic cup finals, it has been Aberdeen that have been the team that's got to the final against Celtic says actually quite a lot for Aberdeen. And they're generally, especially today, they're actually quite close and they've ran Celtic close a couple of times in the league as well recently. So, yeah, I think they are they are a victim. They would have had a bit more success if they hadn't come up against such a strong Celtic team. But then, conversely, I suppose you could say that as Celtic being so good that prompts Aberdeen to keep getting better all the time because they know they, they need to, to stay within any sort of touching distance. But, uh, and then in terms of the point about Derek McInnes, I think, I, I don't know, I would, I would say, to be honest, I think Aberdeen are probably operating at about the sort of peak where they could be. To be honest, I think they're, they're always going to struggle to they're, they're not going to overtake Celtic purely down to financial spending power That that's that's a given in my view mm-hmm. I think they've defended off Rangers for so many years they might find it difficult to do this year but you know you, you wouldn't completely write them off doing it again going on a good run after New Year and maybe doing it again I don't think so but you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't be surprised at this moment in time they are the, sec- they are the second force you know they're, they're reigning second force if you like and I think mm-hmm. that that is where that when they were poor for a few years under Craig Brown and the likes there, Matt McGee, eh, I think Aberdeen fans would have bit your hand off to be up where they are now. That's what that's what they are. They are the second, third sort of force in Scottish football. They want to be up there splitting the old firm, getting between them, winning cups, getting to finals, playing in Europe. That's what they're doing under McInnes, and they've done it consistently. The level of consistency has been amazing for a provincial club. So no, I think to say that. I think I don't think you can berate the job that Derek McInnes does there at all and I think they're, they're lucky to have him and it'll be a sad day when he leaves them actually to be honest mm-hmm. um, Our final question comes from Andrew Gamba who we've all heard uh, his lovely tones on the podcast um, and he's asking for thoughts and I'll ask you first Johnny um, UEFA as part of their um, yeah. uh, sort of committee this weekend have come up with a sort of Intertotal Cup, uh, which will feature thirty-two teams, so it's a third-tier um, European competition. With thirty-two teams, eight groups of four teams, um, last sixteen quarter-finals, semi-finals, and final. But there'll be a knockout round prior to last sixteens for class for the teams in second place in new competition, and third in the Europa League. So somewhat similar to the Champions League there, and it'll also be played on Thursdays. And um, will come to fruition um, in twenty twenty-one. Um, thoughts on this, Johnny? Um, well, it's a difficult one to kind of have chucked at you because I've not obviously read into it enough. Because um, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, the question has just been. There isn't a lot of detail given in the press and release. Exactly, I've looked at the press release and there's not, right, not nearly enough. But initially, you can come up with kind of two arguments. It devalues the Europa League for one, which is a good competition in my opinion. But from a second point of view, there's so many good teams. In like, for example, Germany, Spain, Italy, France, and maybe even mm-hmm. Iowa, England as well. Teams like Everton and you know mid-table teams that are just mm-hmm. kind of locked out of these European competitions, bar winning a cup. 
and it would be kind of interesting to see these teams playing each other. So I uh, different views until I until I read into it more and no doubt find out the inevitable scandal that's behind it. Um, just quickly, Lewis. Uh, nice to see potentially more Scottish clubs in Europe. Yeah, I think definitely. I think the out with Celtic and yeah, out with Celtic in the last five ten years or so. There's there's been very little. There's been nobody else really mm-hmm. qualifying for group stages and things. So, yeah, whether it's just a new third tier type setup or not, I think that we're in a position where anything that would get Scottish clubs out there and get them exposed to regular European mm-hmm. football, get them in group stages, get them in proper that aren't qualifying knockout rounds. Yeah, I think anything like that has got to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think that rounds up the podcast quite nicely. A pleasure to record, with the exception of a wee five minute spell in the middle. Um, thank you very much Johnny for coming on no problem, a pleasure as you say and uh, I also agree with the sentiment about the five minute spell <laughs> I'm sure the listeners will too um, and thank you very much Lewis Burrell cheers thanks very much Tom, always a pleasure never a chore <laughs> except, as, again no except from that five minutes that was uh, yeah. quite a chore <laughs> so not never a chore sometimes a chore are you sure it was five um, minutes by the way it could have been 50 I'd, uh, mm. um, I saw red um, <laughs> but the biggest thank you goes to listeners uh, thank you very much for listening and sticking with us uh, we'll speak to you very soon